Thank you for listening to my first full episode of Way Life Podcast. I'm Mike Tyree, minister, husband, and father to five wonderful children who are all serving the Lord. I started Way Life with the vision of seeing every community in America embracing the values of Christianity and making them a way of life. At America's birth, the influence of Christianity was prevalent. Our system of government was influenced by those values. You can see them in the letters of its founders. The Declaration of Independence pleads its case from those values. Our laws are heavily immersed in those values. Even the daily conversation with friends and neighbors had biblical references and analogies. America's work ethic came from those scriptural ideas, if a man does not work, he does not eat. Art was a reflection of those values. Read the biographies of the nation's inventors, and they will tell you that they were inspired by them. Sadly, we, are traveled, we have traveled far from the Founders' original intent. But it is our duty as Christians to preserve those early values. We are not only working to see people saved, but we are also working to create culture, to build wholesome family communities that are free from drugs and pornography. A community where it's safe to leave your doors open at night. A community built upon good morals, where our kids are taught proper etiquette and civil responsibilities. A community where people pray and it is encouraged and the standing for the Pledge of Allegiance is not debated. Now, to me, this is real revival. I just read something recently that said that we are now living in post-America. I shudder to process that thought. America, a country of liberty and values, is no more. We are always the good guys. And now America is upside down. Think about all the crazy things that have happened in the last few years. Many of them just this past year. Listen to the upside down things that are happening. It is acceptable to be a man today and a woman tomorrow. It's not acceptable to call people by their genders. He, she, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather. Here's another one. Defund the police. Get rid of the police and have social workers deal with crime. Let's get rid of babies right up until they are born, and if left up to the Virginia governor, you could even kill them after birth. It's acceptable to burn our cities down, destroy people's businesses, violently harass the innocent. And all this is encouraged by our leaders because it's for quote, quote, social justice. It's perfectly normal for our male assistant national health director to dress up as a girl baby doll. Let's take our history books from the last 244 years, throw them out, and let's replace it with the 1619 Project and textbooks that does not include the American Revolution, Civil War, World War I, or World War II. But it does teach kids that America is racist. In California, law officers are not permitted to arrest anybody who steals less than $950 worth of merchandise. Men are allowed to use the women's bathroom. Let's close our churches down, but let's allow casinos to be open. Let's blatantly target and censor the speech of conservatives and Christians and then tell them we're not doing it. 
All white people are racist and evil oppressors, even if they don't know it, and all minority groups are oppressed and cannot be racist. Here's one. Let's force hotels to allow the homeless to sleep in their lobbies with the belief that all people have the basic right to live where they choose. Let men compete in women's sports. Let's impeach a president when he's not even the president. Let's not get the best people to build the plane that I'm going to fly on. Let's make sure that we are fair and we get the person who graduated at the bottom of his class because they are from a minority quota group. Even many of our churches embrace such ideas. Some of them have even taken down their crosses so as not to offend atheists and other religions. If it wasn't so sad and realistic, you would think you were watching an old episode of The Three Stooges. How do we make sense of all this? How have we come to the place that is so upside down from common sense? Well, before we get into that, let me first of all set this whole thing up. In Chronicles 12, and starting in verse 24, the scripture lists all the groups in Israel that supported David's army and what their contributions were. You had things like Judah, who had shields and spears, who brought uh, 6,800 men. Uh, you had Zadok, a young man, a valiant warrior from his father's house, who had 22 captains. You had the sons of Benjamin, who, relatives of Saul, who brought 3,000. You had the Danites, who had 28,600. Asher, who brought 40,000. Uh, you had the sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000. You, you just kept going on and on and on with building this uh, building this army. And right sandwiched right in the middle of all of this list of all these great uh, contributions of warriors and weapons, right in the middle of all of these expert warriors, in verse 32, it says that there were the sons of Issachar. Now, what was their great contribution? How many great and powerful men did they bring to battle? What were the weapons that they brought to the table? Well, none. It just simply says in verse 32, the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It simply says that they understood the times. So in the middle of all of these warriors, the sons of Issachar knew what the heck was going on and what they should be doing what should be done about it. So this great army depended on these men to tell them what to do. All the weapons and all the soldiers were useless if someone did not have the wisdom to understand on how to use such a great army. We strongly need Christian warriors who understand the times that we live in. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I was living in my own little world, oblivious of all the evil that was surrounding me. I remember uh, studying about Lincoln and, and how he studied by the candlelight and eventually became president. I would imagine myself one day as president. We would take vacations every year from Ohio, where I, where I grew up, all the way down to uh, Virginia. And we would go through Cumberland Gap and, oh, such rich history there. And through there is the, the passage that Daniel Boone took when he discovered the passage through the Appalachian Mountains there. 
And I would imagine myself as Daniel, Bloom, Daniel Boone exploring the mountains. Uh, they had, used to have little tourist shops there. And at one time I bought Indian moccasins. And I imagined myself quietly going through the woods. Other times I was a cowboy coming out to save the day. One year I bought a bow and arrow and I was just fascinated with it. And like all dumb kids, we do stupid stuff. And uh, I, I would shoot the bow up in the air. And the, when the bow, or excuse me, I would shoot the arrow up in the air. And when the arrow would come down, I would try to grab it with my hand. I had such wonderful memories. Uh, uh, when I was a, uh, I used to play baseball, and uh, there was a tree out in our backyard, and I would throw that ball up against the tree, and I would practice, uh, you know, my ground balls. I would cra uh, practice my high flies. I could hit that ball just right uh, against that tree, and, and I could get some practice time in. Well, while I was doing that, I would imagine myself as a professional baseball player. But you know, as growing up, what I did not understand was that there were people in this country that were working against those American values. I didn't understand that. I was in my own little world. Uh, things that were happening, like Roe versus Wade, the removal of prayer from our schools, the removal of Bibles, the, the Vietnam War protests, sexual immorality that was gripping the entertainment business. All of these things were were seeds of where we're at today, but I did not see them. I did not understand them. Uh, and I say to us, let us not be like children and not understand the times that we live in. Paul said in Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Let us not be blindsided by what's happening. Let's understand the times that we live in. Let's not be like that, like children who are off in our own little worlds or our churches doing our, our own in-house things. But let us have a bigger vision of where God can bring us and what's happening in our country and our responsibilities to create culture uh, that is in our communities. So, what exactly is the worldview of the secular left? Now, we hear many things that they promote that makes us scratch our heads asking, where did that come from? Well, I'm going to explain this from a perspective of philosophy today. And as the episodes go on, I will try to explain what is happening from more of a practical perspective. You know, what is their strategy? So for now, let's get, get to it. I will use the left to describe those who have this upside down thinking. Those who stand against America and those Judeo-Christian uh, values. Uh, I would prefer to use another word because the word left has more of a political meaning. This issue goes far beyond the political system and is entrenched into every area of life. You see this ideology penetrating into the education, media, sports, entertainment, and even into the church. But for the lack of a better word, I will use the term left. Left, by the way, is different than being a liberal. The traditional liberal loves this country and does not want to burn it to the ground. The left wants to deconstruct our uh, Judeo-Christian culture and build something new. And whatever that new is they have in mind, it has the absence of Christianity, and it has the absence of those values. 
To understand the left, we need to know what their worldview is. How do they look at the world? Where does their value system come from? What motivates them? When they wake up in the morning, how is their thinking different from ours? Well, to understand this, uh, their worldview, we need to go back to the late 19th century. In the late 19, uh, excuse me, in the late 1800s, a shift began to take place. People began to question the accepted norms of society. Up until then, people looked at the world through the lens of a Christian worldview. It was how we conducted ourselves in society. For example, the use of proper etiquette, uh, as can be seen through the several books on etiquette produced in the Victorian age. Um, science purpose was to understand God's creation. Many inventors said that their motivation came from their faith in God. The sermon on Sunday was the discussion for most of the week, and those sermons were published for the community to read. The church was the central focus for not only spiritual events, but it was for community ones. Art depicted the creation of God. Even those who were not Christians accepted the basic morals taught in the Bible. But as the end of the 19th century approached, these accepted fundamental values began to be questioned. Charles Darwin, with his Origins of Species, questioned the very idea of biblical creation. Karl Marx questioned not only the economic system, but the whole social structure. He believed, quote, the social principles of Christianity preach cowardice, self-contempt, abasement, submission, humility. The social principles of Christianity are hypocritical, end quote. Well, Sigmund Freud questioned the role of religion and believed that Christianity was just like, uh, was just a way of dealing with one's guilt. Liberal theologians like Julius Wilhausen questioned the literal interpretation of the Bible and suggested that it contained good moral guidelines, but one should not take it literally. John Dewey, an educational reformer and signer of the Humanist Manifesto, questioned the education system in America and worked to detach it from its Christian roots. But of all of those, there is one that contributed more to the, to the decline of our moral standards than any of these, and that is the philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche lived from 1844 to 1900, and ironically enough, spent the last 11 years of his life in insanity. He was a very hostile critic to Christianity. He challenged the Western tradition of morality that inspired hundreds of writers and leaders to do the same. He was heavily influenced by Charles Darwin. Uh, he believed that Christian values undermined the human spirit. The things that make Christianity unique in their belief is things like grace, mercy, compassion, pity. Well, Nietzsche believed that that, that weakened the human spirit. He believed that in order for human existence to flourish and grow, we had to get rid of Christianity with all of its sentimental acts of pity. He probably would have loved Cobra Kai's slogan from the movie Karate Kid, Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. He believed that if you believed in God, you destroyed your life. 
He saw Christianity as a slave morality, that the follower is a slave and God is his master. Well, we see that in a positive way, but Nietzsche saw that as a negative. To him, a slave had no meaning in life. He spends his life doing what he is told to do, and the only reason that a slave would stay with the master is if he were afraid of being punished. He thought slaves were cowards who were like stupid sheep who would not break out of the pack and would just keep following the social customs, continuing to do what he was expected to do. If you've never heard of Friedrich Nietzsche, you might have heard of his most famous quote, God is dead. He did not mean this in a literal sense, but that the idea of God was dead. That with the advancement of science and education, there is no need for God. He saw a world that was going more secular, and to him, that was good. He wrote a book called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And here the prophet Zarathustra declared the death of God. He painted a picture here, a word picture. There was a pantheon of gods, and the Jewish gods stood up in the assembly of all of these and declared to the universe, there is no other gods besides me. Well, when the other gods heard this, they broke out laughing. And they laughed and laughed, and they laughed so hard that they laughed themselves to death. And so only one God, the God of the Jews, Yahweh, was left. And later, the God of the Jews died. And what killed him was pity. He died from the same weakness that is now infecting the Western culture. And as Nietzsche saw it, Western culture would soon die too. Nietzsche's morality was based on what he called Superman. Well, don't get excited here. This is not the Superman who is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This Superman is more like Bizarro, one of the alternate evil Supermans to those that are not comic nerds. You see, this Superman, or Ubermensch, that is pronounced in German, was beyond the normal course of humanity. He was not weakened by sentiments of pity. He was stronger because he exerted his will. Other men are weak because they do not exercise their will to power. Famous men of the past became famous because they exercised their will to power. Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Napoleon Bonaparte, Attila the Hun. You see, he believed that this Superman could bring about a new world order and a new dawning would arise. To Nietzsche, there was not right or wrong. It was only your will. Will was the new morality. Nietzsche said that the Superman is the one who sails his ships into uncharted seas and who built his house on the slopes of Venus, the famous volcano uh, mounted in Italy. You see, this is the attitude of defiance toward the very force of nature. You see, this very harsh philosophy was attractive to those who rejected Western culture with its customs and traditions. They wanted to burn it to the ground, and they wanted... To, they wanted to replace it with a new system based on will. 
Does that sound familiar? Well, there's a famous criminal case considered uh, that was considered at the time the crime of the century. And it reflects, reflects the ideology of Nietzsche. In May 1924, two wealthy students from the University of Chicago, Leopold and Loeb, kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old Bobby Frank. They were heavily influenced by Friedrich Nietzsche in trying to obtain this idea of the Superman. They wanted to show that they were that there was no right and wrong. They thought that they could get to a higher level of existence, existence by believing that there is absolute no morality. No absolute morality. Their thinking was that we will kill someone in cold blood and this will go against the Western idea of morality. Well, that innocence of a 14-year-old child was their victim. Well, about the same time as Leopold and Loeb, Adolf Hitler was developing his ideology when he wrote the Communist Manifesto. Later, when Hitler came to power, he would send copies of Nietzsche's work to his close friends and henchmen. This is how he justified his Aryan race. This is how he could exterminate six million Jews and not hesitate doing it. Now, obviously... Not everyone on the left is going to kidnap and murder a 14-year-old boy or embrace uh, a complete Hitler ideology. But the seed of a slave morality that kills God and centers on the will and the power of the individual is most certainly what drives the left. The ideology of disdain for Christianity is a major focus to the left. Traditional American biblical morality drives the left nuts. They hate it, and they want to wipe out any influence that we have. They want to impose their will upon us. They want to be our masters. We are the deplorables. We are the dumb sheep. And they're going crazy with the thought that we might win. They have become desperate and are acting like a cornered possum. You see, the difference today than it was in years past is that they no longer try to hide who they are. They are now emboldened and we can see them for who they are in the light of day. They don't care anymore if we see them. They will do something out blatantly and then arrogantly tell us we didn't see what we saw. It's kind of like the old Groucho scene where the wife catches her husband with another woman in their bedroom and she confronts him and he tells her, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> so the question is, how do we defeat them? Well, there are several things we can do, and that's what much of this podcast is about. But let me leave you one thing that all of us can do right now to fight against the left strategy. They can't stand on how we show grace mercy and pity. I say, let's keep showing them grace, mercy, and pity. Let's keep loving people, caring for people. Let's keep building hospitals. Let's keep taking care of the elderly. Keep taking care of abused children. Keep visiting the prisons. Keep helping the drug addicts. You know, our pastor, 
of the church where I attend, Pastor David Morgan, is dedicated to the ministry of Eight Oaks. It's a ministry that he founded because of his passion to see drug addicts overcome their addiction by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants them to experience the power of God's love. You know, many of you are involved in some type of ministry that helps transform broken people into mended followers of Christ. If not, I want to encourage you to get involved. Let me leave you with one last thing. Nietzsche, he used this phrase, shadows of God, to explain the moral influence that Christianity used, uh, that Christianity has upon the world. If God died, then the shadows of God would die too. Now, if we allow this to happen, then our senses of what is cruel and barbaric will begin to dissipate. Our sensitivity to wrong will become dull. This is what the left is trying to do. They want to snuff out those shadows. We must not let that happen. My prayer is to let the shadows of God overshadow America once again. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and all the major podcast platforms so we can get the word spread. Remember, make the left go crazy this week. Show some grace.